Hey guys, Jack here. We have an awesome guest this week. You may already have heard him on the strategy segment, but this is Leo Wolpert, who is a 510 grinder uh, located in the Las Vegas area. And these are a few conversations we had with him before and after recording the hand. Uh, a quick recap of some of the announcements. I won't elaborate the way I do uh, on the main strategy segment. But we have some new stuff coming to the blog, a few weekly installments. So be sure to head to our website, Just Hands Poker, uh, to check those out. JustHandsPoker.com, that is. Also remember to tune in uh, to our weekly stream, Wednesdays at 9. It's probably going to alternate between myself and uh, our associate, Peter O'Neill, who is a really, really excellent online player. Highly recommend checking he and I out. Uh, I've really enjoyed watching him play, and I think uh, there's just a lot to be learned by seeing someone go through all of those types of spots. Anyways, enjoy the interview. Enjoy the hand if you haven't heard it yet, and we'll see you next week. Hey, hello. What's up? Hey, Leo. Hey. I like your uh, profile picture. Oh, thanks. Uh, yeah, I love uh, Roberto. He's, uh, he's my favorite robot. So, yeah, I'm just uh, getting settled in here. I, uh, I'm looking up hands that I played from a cash cash session, I guess on the 4th, mm-hmm. so a week ago. Uh, and I'm pretty sure I wrote them down somewhere. I just have to find them and kind of reconstruct them so that I'm not missing sizings or anything like that. Yeah, no worries. Take your time. Yeah, we're for the details here. <laughs> uh, so, Leo, in doing a little bit of background for this podcast, I kind of saw that you've been involved with the ACLU. That is correct. Uh, so, my first bit of political activism was actually with the NYCLU. Well, the the yeah, the New York Civil Liberties Union and helping to repeal the Rockefeller drug laws. So, I'm a big fan of the oh, ACLU, wow. and actually was thinking about going down a similar at least beginning career path as yourself is being involved in civil liberties. I'm not on that trajectory anymore, but, uh, you know, it's, it's cool to be talking with someone who, who's kind of gone down that at least in part. Oh yeah. Thank you. Thank you for the, uh, the compliment and yeah, civil liberties. I mean, just one of those things that, uh, are, are ever eroding. And so we have to be pretty vigilant to, uh, keep them from becoming eroded for good. Uh, and there are just so many, I don't know, things wrong, especially in Nevada, uh, that I feel don't get addressed, um, that, yeah, things need fixing, I guess. What, what are some of the specific issues in, in Nevada that maybe some of the, well, I, you probably can't talk about the cases you're working on, but... Stuff. Well, I'm not really, uh, I'm, right now I'm uh, just uh, doing some petitions for uh, sex offenders, actually, because my girlfriend is a partner in her own firm, and I, um, she, uh, has clients who have been on the sex offender registry for 15 years and then they're now they're entitled to uh, petition the court to have their uh, status, I mean, I guess not expurged, but to have their duty to uh, register every year uh, be released. Mm-hmm. So that's, it's, it's interesting work. Um, let's see what else I, I worked on about a criminal appeal. It's a, I've been doing a little more criminal defense, uh, straightforward work like that, but mostly, to be honest, I've just been grinding a lot of poker. <laughs> what What are your normal uh, games? Uh, usually 5-10 of Bellagio uh, for cash, 
um, and occasionally two five, and uh, occasionally ten twenty. But I feel like every time I walk by the ten twenty game at Bellagio, I'm just like oh, too tough. Uh, just at least like maybe like one person I don't recognize them on like six killers. So yeah, much. I feel like it's much better bankroll wise and uh, stress wise to to just stick to five ten as a default. Especially because at Bellagio, it's capped at a fifteen hundred dollar buy-in, which uh, um, I think makes some regs play a little more predictably. Um, and I think it also, uh, I think, lessens the aggression and uh, kind of. I have a massive stack. Let's have a, a big, big dick swinging contest here. Uh, dynamics that uncapped games can sometimes have. For a you know professional player though, presumably with a, a skill edge against a lot of these players, uh, especially when you're deep stacked, isn't that something that is kind of desirable? Or are you, are you talking about these dick swing matches exclusively with other kind of good professionals? I would say mostly with other good professionals. Oh, uh, okay. I feel like that's I feel like I end up doing a lot of the dick swinging, uh, <laughs> for better or for worse. Um, and oftentimes because they're good professionals, it's it's for worse. Uh, and I often feel like the bad players aren't often buying in for heaps upon heaps, unless it's more of a private game or unless it's uh, somebody who's in town and then there's word on the street that people get in the game, uh, or I guess people who uh, have the word, who have heard the word first, get in the game first. Uh, but I definitely feel like avoiding those uh, those reg battles for I don't know. 800 big blind pots or whatever uh, is probably good for my stress level. Yeah, that sounds... I mean, if, if the only people who are sitting deep are the good players, then it's probably better for the game to be capped. Oh, yeah. And also, I like that the cap gives a bit of information. Uh, if somebody's sitting, you know, in a 6K stack in a $1,500 buy-in game, maybe they had to have gotten it from winning. Now, they might be in the game for, like, 8K. Up from 1500 to 6K, so... They've, uh, you could maybe take a guess that they're playing more confidently, or that, you know, if they're one of those players who knits it up once they've kind of run up a stack, then you can guess that they're going to knit it up a little more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. So, what, it, what has made you kind of be loyal to the Bellagio? It, when you were saying about which games you play, it was kind of, you know, three different stakes of no limit at the Bellagio, but, you know, being in Vegas with access to so many other games. Uh, what kind of, yeah, what, what makes you play there every day? Uh, I'd say one thing is proximity. Um, I guess I live slightly closer to the win. I used to live in Henderson, and I would play more at Green Valley Ranch, which was a casino that was literally a, a five-minute walk away. Um, and they almost never ran bigger than 2.5, but when they did run bigger than 2.5, like 10.25 or 25.50 at that casino, was obviously an amazing so, in one respect, it's like almost living near that casino did a bit of the game selection for me. And now, uh, now that I live closer to the Strip, I feel like Bellagio, it's, it's a bit of a, like a status quo bias thing. Um, where I've just played there and I feel like I'm very comfortable playing against most of the players there that I recognize. And, of course, I'm comfortable playing against people I have no clue who they are because... Oftentimes, those are the the players that you want to be getting into pots with uh, to begin with. When you know you recognize six of the 
nine players at the table. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I feel like yeah, a lot of it's a, a a bit of it's inertia. A bit of it is that Bellagio really only has the most has the most consistent running five ten game in Vegas. Uh, you'll get five ten at the win or at Aria sometimes, but not always. Uh, if I were going in with the intention just to play, just to like start out at two five, I would probably start out at win. Um, yeah, <laughs> but Bellagio. I, just because of the inertia factor and because I've probably built up enough uh, poker comp dollars to get a decent number of free meals for a while there as well. Cool. Yeah, no, the only reason yeah. I, I ask is I, I've i only been to Vegas uh, four times and none of the trips particularly long. You know, just you know, two-week trips during the series and then two other short trips. Um, but with my limited experience at the Bellagio... And two friends of mine that are two five regs there, it, it seems like, uh, and again I'm speaking more to two five that it's definitely, uh, from my vantage point, one of the worst two five games on this trip, um, and I've just met a lot of people in Vegas, you know, kind of two five grinder professionals who, it seems to get like you said status quo bias and really locked into playing in a certain place, uh, but you know obviously. For five ten, it's a little bit different. It's the most consistent running game, and yeah, I was just kind of curious. Uh, curious why? Oh yeah, I mean the status quo bias has to have a large part to play in it, and I, don't, I guess I feel a little more confident just having been to the Bellagio more than anywhere else. It's kind of like back before Black Friday, I felt way more confident on Full Tilt than I did on Stars, even though rationally I should just you know feel like uh, they're equal because the card should be presumably getting dealt fairly and the player pool should be pretty similar. But, uh, you know, I would consistently get crushed on stars and consistently win on full tilt at the same stakes and, you know, pretty much the same tournaments and cash games. So, uh, I think there's definitely something to continuing to play at a place where you're already feeling confident and you're just more likely to naturally organically bring your, bring your A game or at least, you know, your A minus game. If you're starting out at a place where you maybe subconsciously think you're going to run bad, that's certainly going to be detrimental to your play. Yeah, I guess that's something I haven't really considered. Uh, because whenever I'm in Vegas I'm, you know, never a reg anywhere. Uh, because even if you're, you know, losing X amount of E V because the game is like objectively worse on average, you're, you know, gaining probably such a big mental edge and able to put in more consistent sessions and longer sessions that, you know, I think in a lot of cases it, it, it could make sense to be to be a reg at some of these casinos. Oh, definitely. Yeah, I wish, <laughs> you know, I've, I've, I've played a decent amount at the Cleveland Horseshoe and now the Jack, but I've never, like, kind of full-time grinded at a single place uh, for more than, like, a month or so. And I would imagine that if I were to do that, I would just feel so much more comfortable and you know, have so many reads on a lot of the regs, and yeah, it sounds oh, it, does, it sounds nice. Even, <laughs> yeah, sorry to interrupt, but I don't even even think it takes a full month of uh, of grinding to get those kind of uh, reads and start mm-hmm. you know, really um, feeling comfortable about other players' thought processes, or at least feeling comfortable about what you can intuit about them. Um, I mean, I think my my volume is uh, less than stellar. Um, but even with that less than stellar volume, I feel like I know my way around a lot of the regs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
how often would you say that you have, uh, you know, tough decisions in like your average session at the Bellagio five ten game? Uh, I would say probably, hmm, like really tough decisions. On average, maybe like one and a half per hour. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe. maybe Hmm. I think the, the toughness of the decision also like depends on I guess the lens through which I'm viewing it. If I'm like mm-hmm. viewing it through that heater lens, it's like oh wow, nothing's tough. Whereas if I'm kind of downswinging or you know just not feeling confident, it could be just like should I have seen bet there in this one spot? That could have been like the tough decision. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, when you're trying to play like if you're trying to think in terms of playing perfectly. And every decision becomes, well, not every decision, but you'll have a lot more decisions on the margins where, like, you can really spend a lot of time thinking about it. But yeah, that sounds good and bad to have one and a half tough decisions an hour. I feel like in Cleveland, like, I can I can play like five hours and not get, not really think too much, unless I'm just like, you know, really trying to exploit to the max, and, uh, you know, so. A lot of times I'm up for that challenge, and then sometimes uh, I'm just there to squeak out my uh, sort of default win rate. Oh, yeah. I mean, sometimes I'm just very go-hard from the start. I mean, I guess one possible hand I could talk about is uh, trying to bluff Joe Tihon. And uh, spoiler alert, that did not work. Uh, (laughs) I don't know if you're familiar with uh, Joe Tihon. Uh, Uh, I'm not. Yeah, no, I'm not either. Okay, so uh, he played a pretty legendary hand in uh, the Epic Poker League, which uh, I'm. Are you familiar with that that venture, the one that uh, Annie Duke had, and then it folded because uh, it was pretty much a sham from the beginning. Yes, but they actually did run tournaments, and he made a ridiculous like ICM ISO with like Trey Deuce offsuit for for Trey offsuit something ridiculous and garbagey. And he ran into queens and aces, maybe queens and ace king, and got there. <laughs> so, uh, is he, is he a professional? Yeah, I mean, he plays. Uh, he plays ten twenty, uh, and immediately, like, or within maybe ten minutes of uh, me bluffing off like half a stack to him, he uh, the ten twenty game starts, and he's like, "Oh, see you guys later." <laughs> Do you find so, that when the ten twenty you know, regs, uh, kind of professionals are just ten twenty regs who aren't don't play poker for a living are playing in the five ten game. Do you find they're generally like, you know, somewhat spewy and sometimes the spots depending on what the type of day? Uh definitely. Uh some I think there's a big difference between people who like regularly play ten twenty or just kinda of like slumming it waiting for the five ten game and people who, you know, say regularly played ten twenty and are now playing five ten like seriously and not slumming it because maybe they ran bad at ten twenty or they're you know I mean the, mm-hmm. the people who don't insta leave to the to go play ten twenty as soon as the game starts are probably people who are playing tighter. I'm like thinking of actually just one person in particular who used to just play ten twenty and this person like would always fucking check raise the river. Pardon my language. Uh would just always check raise the river like with air and just check or check bomb it. Like you bet 300 into like a $500 pot and you rip for six K or something. Uh, and 
now he's like one of the tighter, more solid players at, at 5'10", which I, I found kind of surprising. Like, I, I paid off a river bet from him, you know, expecting to be good a lot, also because I had top set. And he just had the straight, you know. These these, uh, these hand testers are very great without context, I know. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. That's impre- I mean, that's impressive that, like, he's managed to, like, move down and change his game and, like, improve. I feel like probably a lot of people... You know, once they get uh, forced out of the higher stakes they're playing, aren't able to mentally mentally cope with that and make the necessary adjustments. Absolutely. Yeah, I think as I was tr- transitioning to two five in Cleveland, where uh, it really doesn't run that often. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's Cleveland. Yeah, at, you know, and and when it runs, it's like a table, and when it's like awesome, it's like two pretty good tables on like a saturday evening saturday afternoon uh luckily there, there are often you know two to four plo tables at most peak times which is a much better game and you know a game me and jack have been transitioning to as of late but you know kind of maybe like a year back now i'm starting to play two five when it looks good i'm still you know trying feeling confident but not you know really comfortable at that stake and sometimes if I would play for a few hours and the game would break or the game would get bad, then I'd go back to 1-2. One, one, and it was then when I was first kind of going up to 2-5 that I would then play definitely like kind of unexcusable poker at 1-2. Not necessarily like horrible, but probably, you know, minus CV most of the uh, most of the times after I were to play 2-5 because I'm like, oh, I'm starting to become a 2-5 player. Like, you know, all these kind of silly ego ego things, which I'm sure we've all experienced a few times, but... I find it funny how like that happens more. I think when you're less experienced at the higher stake than when you have the experience there, even though it kind of, you know, logically could could be the opposite for some people. Absolutely, I I, I kind of feel like I had the opposite where mm. I was playing a little too spewy at my normal stakes, and then when I would take shots, I'd play tighter. But it would be like I would, I would accidentally. Uh, I would accidentally tighten my way up into a proper a proper pre flop strategy <laughs> with uh, at higher stakes. Well, that that sounds like it worked out nicely for you then. <laughs> I always play my best. <laughs> uh, okay, I'm still looking up, looking for these hands. So uh, this is one of the problems with uh, winding an IRC. Is that I just have to basically control F my way through a big text file. Yeah. Been there, done that. Alright, here's here's a decent one from a nice where people disagreed as to what to do. Great. <laughs> okay. Also another thing about the IRC is that uh there's a lot of other people interjecting, so it's hard to just get the straight hand history. Yeah, so so what what exactly is like how many people are in your group? Is this uh, you know, do you want to tell listeners a little bit about how you kind of go over hands with some of your poker playing friends? Uh, sure. Uh, basically, back in the day, we had a uh, we all started we. I mean, it's tough to say. It's tough to just uh, hmm. yeah, I've kind of lost my train of thought there. Uh, <laughs> editor, please. Jack, you got this. Studio Magic. <laughs> no, yeah, we got to keep it 100% uh, you know, real. Oh no. My my precious yeah. street cred as uh, as an exemplary public speaker. Uh 
Okay, so we all started at the somethingawful.com forums, uh, and they had a poker sub-forum, which was called Poker in the Rear. And from that spawned an IRC channel uh, that was just about poker. And from that, from that channel spawned a poker channel that, or a sub-channel that was just about whining about the bad beats we take, and appropriately named uh, Bad Beats. And so it kind of turned into like a Bad Beats crew, uh, and that's kind of the go-to spot, and it has been for, geez, uh, man, six, seven years by now, uh, for uh, myself and uh, other people in this poker playing crew to uh, whine about hands and do line checks and uh, all that kind of fun stuff. Mm-hmm. It's just uh, plain, simple internet technology that's been around since, like, the early 90s, uh, and it just works really well for this purpose. for the day, I, I had just like a kind of two questions I wanted to, to ask you. Certainly. So this is kind of more just about like the lifestyle of being a professional poker player and what it's like living in Las Vegas. I would just love to kind of hear you talk about that. And I think some of our listeners would appreciate kind of what the day-to-day life of, you know, a 510 cash grinder is like in Vegas. Well, let's see. I mean, it really depends on, on the day. Uh, <laughs> I usually get up uh, pretty early, uh, walk the dogs before it gets too hot outside to uh, really enjoy it. Um, I live at about three miles east of the wind, which is um, a, a pretty nice neighborhood. Never felt uncomfortable walking the dogs around. Uh, of course, there are two pit bulls, so they, uh, you know, they either they they listed like one of two reactions, and one is fear, and the other is, "Oh my god, this is so cute! Can I come pet you? I love pit bulls. You know, people like come up on yeah. the street." And uh, just to, like, talk about their experiences with pit bulls, it's, like, really uh like, way to just share something with a complete stranger. Um, it's, yeah, they, these dogs get, like, so many compliments. It's ridiculous. Uh, they must feel very conceited about their looks by now. <laughs> um, so, yeah, get get the dogs walked. Um, usually I try to get to Bellagio around, like, uh, 12 or 1, and it depends. Some, days, some weeks I'm very motivated. I'll go you know, four days in a row and some weeks, uh, I'll have other things going on and I'll only be able to make it in, you know, a couple times or other times I'll just be grinding tournaments like during the world series of poker. Um, or I guess I'm going to be going to Arizona at some point to, to play a tournament there. Um, go on a little road trip, but, uh, yeah, get the Blagio play, uh, try to put in, you know, four to five hours at least uh, more if the game is better, uh, less if I feel like I'm playing poorly, um, or if I, you know, feel like the game is really bad. And at five ten, I don't feel like there are that many games that are so bad that I really want to quit. I think it's a lot more dependent on, um, you know, my own mental state and you know my own uh, level of focus and discipline. Um, so yeah, but usually about you know five, six hours in, 
And uh, sometimes I sometimes I even like play with a stop loss just to make sure that things don't go totally off the rail. Um, and what's yeah, a, what's a stop, stop loss look like for you at a five ten game? Uh, I would say it's a, probably in the neighborhood of uh, thirty five hundred to four thousand mm-hmm. dollars. Um, and sometimes, I mean, I have to be in a really foul mood for it to be less. Uh, and uh, the game has to be amazing for it to be more. So yeah, that's pretty much life. And I come home, uh, hang out with my girlfriend, the dogs, uh, try to like read a book or watch some TV or something. You know, nothing, nothing too crazy. I'm not out of the clubs or uh, you know getting into too much trouble. Yeah, and how long have you been been doing this for? Been- uh, well, I graduated law school in 2011. And moved out to Vegas after the summer of 2011, and I haven't had a real uh, law job since. Um, I've been doing contract work uh, for my girlfriend, uh, on and off, just to uh, when she needs help or when I want a little break from poker. Um, one thing about doing legal work, I, I passed the bar in 2012, so I'm actually allowed to do legal work by the state of Nevada. Um, one thing about legal work is that if I do it for long enough, it reminds me uh, how much I really do love poker. Um, and I not to not to shit on the process of doing legal work. Uh, there are many people who greatly enjoy it. I, you know, can find some things I like about it, but eventually it comes down to a comparison between doing that and poker. And it's like, oh my god. I may have taken some horrendous beats or botched some hands or, you know, been playing my C minus game. But by God, when I get back, I'm gonna love this fucking game and bring the A game and give it my all. So, yeah, legal work is kind of like it's almost like a reset button to to flush out the tilt. <laughs> wow, I, I I can't imagine there's many people who uh, have the same relationship that you do with legal work. But <laughs> that's well, awesome. I mean, yeah, it's uh. There, there, there's a reason why uh, people who do lots of legal work and lots of great legal work get paid lots of money, and it's because uh, it's tough and it's uh, draining, and uh, you know, for some people more than others. Uh, but it's uh, it's also just like poker. Legal work is a, a tough way to make a tough living, I guess. Not not living, tough way to make a nine to five living or eight to six or. You know, however, however long you're grinding. So by like poker, you mean not like poker. <laughs> right. Like, uh, you know, except without the pretense of uh, it being a fun game. Yeah. <laughs> um, Jack, you have anything you want to ask our guest before we let him hit the tables? or? Well, I definitely, Leo would want to give you an opportunity to, uh, you know, plug anything uh, you've got going on that you want to share with our listeners, even if it's... Uh, just your Twitter handle, how people can stay in touch with what you're doing, rail you, uh, whatever it might be. All right. Well, uh, I'm Leo Walpert on Twitter. It's uh, spelled exactly like my name. Um, and uh, let's see, plugs. Uh, I suggest that you buy uh, Nate Mavis's Thinking Tournament Poker Volume 1 and 2. I helped edit and uh, added my commentary to that book. And it's a fun exploration of Nate's uh, 2014, 2015 
one of the one of the main events that that Nate played. There's some really you know interesting discussions, and uh, you can see some uh, hands that Nate played that we praise or pillory him for. Uh, yeah. <laughs> as uh, as for someone who has read both of the, oh sorry. Oh, for the five dollars you spend, I think you know you'll probably get more than five dollars worth of improvement out of your poker game. So, I yeah, I have not played any tournaments since I've read both volumes of the Thinking Poker Diaries, or maybe that's Andrew's series. Shit. Oh, Andrew's uh, yes, the diaries. Yes, uh, I also recommend those. Those are fun. <laughs> re- well, I I read both of Nate's books uh, this summer. And they're very good, they're very entertaining, even for you cash game players. Uh, I don't really play tournaments, but uh, you know, reading people talk and think about poker at a high level is always interesting. So I highly recommend uh, reading them. And now, you know, we've had two of the writers for those books on on the podcast. So definitely extra incentive to go read it, guys. I, I would. I, I mean, I would be shocked if you uh, five dollars value out of that book. I mean. Maybe if you just bought it and didn't read it, that's that's a good way to knock a value out of a book. Well, you guys can also do that and support the work that Nate and Leo are doing. Uh, don't feel pressure yeah. to read it. Just buy it. <laughs> just yeah. buy it, yeah. You know, just the, the gratitude of knowing that that money went to a good place, yeah. yeah. That's worth $5 in itself. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Thank you for the charity. <laughs> I guess if someone, like, grossly misinterpreted the advice and... Uh, you know, well, I mean, there's like certainly <laughs> some hands in there that uh, that I would classify as uh, do as we say, not as Nate did. But <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, that's just minor quibbles. So you could get thousands of dollars in value, but you may make a wrong decision in a tournament. So you know, definitely <laughs> buy it, but read at your own risk. <laughs> oh, the risk of making a wrong decision in a tournament is like. <laughs> Too much to bear, I gotta say. Never play a tournament again, you guys. Yeah. <laughs> okay, well, Leo, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. It was a pleasure talking with you. Uh, and Thanks uh, so much for having me, and it's been a, a real uh, edifying experience. <laughs> well, we, we hope hope to have another one sometime soon. Sounds good. Okay. Uh, right, thanks, Leo.